Hello, welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Kate, the producer of Pod Rocket. With me today is Noel, our engineer at Log Rocket. Hi, Noel. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for joining us again. And also, our guest today is Alex Lichta. Uh, how's it going, Alex? Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm. I'm feeling great. How about you? Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah. So Alex is the uh, founder of Development and also uh, the core next or the next core maintainer. Excuse me. Um, so yeah, just to start, um, can you tell us about what is development and maybe just kind of your role at uh, as a maintainer of Next? Sure. Um, so yeah, development is a company. Uh, me and a couple of friends at first uh, funded back when we passed our A levels, and now we're in two of us. <laughs> um, but um, what I'm mainly doing there is doing consultancy, uh, it, basically everything about web development, with a focus, of course, on like front end, view, and Next. So that fits. Um, but also we're doing uh, basically full stick stuff and uh, whatever, uh, yeah, whatever help is needed, uh, we'll we'll jump in. Uh, and about Next, uh, yeah, the, the role as a core maintainer, I think we'll, we'll go into that, uh, into that uh, a bit later. I think we'll start first with explaining what Next is actually for everybody not known about it. So um, Next is a web framework, of course, so fully front-end oriented, but it is uh, a meta framework based on Vue.js. So, I mean, Vue is probably known to most of you. And Next sitting on top of that, and the idea is to make developers' life easier and to make especially also developing full-fledged applications a breeze. Yeah, I think that sums it up. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, so like, what is your kind of role in in the Nuxt ecosystem as a core maintainer? Did you were you pretty early on? Did you kind of join later? Like, what does that look like? So I joined as I think the fifth person in team uh, that was back in 2018, I think. From correctly, so quite quite some years ago, and yeah, back then uh, we were like from four people to six. Then so uh, Jonas, who is not part of the team anymore, joined with me uh, back then, and it was pretty wild because there was like um, like no company behind it because now there is a company because the Chopin brothers who founded Next uh, also founded a company and got uh, VC money, so I went through a seed run, which is pretty awesome. And yeah, back then uh, basically what happened is that I. Um, was like starting with Laravel and then came to Vue because Vue is the default preset for Laravel. And I really liked the idea of like Vue, uh, just using HTML, CSS uh, and JavaScript to like get in not uh, that much like theory and technical stuff and not the need of TypeScript. So that was pretty cool. Um, it, the learning curve was, was I think, optimal and the docs were very good. So I started with it and I worked on uh, some client projects. Um, and then I realized, hmm, oh, um, SEO is uh, necessary. Like you want to have like all the meta tags when sharing stuff. And uh, by default, single page applications aren't that good uh, when it comes to SEO. So I thought there might be a solution for that. And the answer was back then, next. So yeah, I, I found out about it. I was I was all in. I used it. And then um, I, I realized that there were a few things that were uh, necessary for one of our projects, for example, like adding RSS feeds, um, and they weren't part of Nuxt back then. Um, so I thought there might be a module for that, which is yeah, basically just a pluggable, uh, yeah, just a pluggable for, m- module for Nuxt so that core isn't going uh, and growing and growing and going that big. Uh, but there wasn't, so I thought, okay, um, I will just develop one. And um, well, uh, I know that there is open source and thanks to Laravel, to the Laravel community also, uh, well, was kind of into it already. 
So I thought, well, if I have to write it uh, and to to make it work for my project, I could also open source it to um, yeah reduce the workload for others, so others can use it as well and maybe work on it too because they may need I don't know another format or something or have other suggestions. So yeah, that was basically the idea, and I got in touch also with the people back then from the core team. So of course the Chopin brothers and also uh, Puya and Clark. So these were the four people back then in the core team. So yeah, we were discussing a few things here and there, and then I took a look into the core as well, like going through all the code because uh, if if you've ever looked at the project uh, at first, it's like wow, it's a bit overwhelming, like with every large new project, but yeah, with tiny baby steps you get into it. So yeah, I started contributing more and more, and then um, yeah, it was uh, around summer, uh, and uh, I was on my way to Dublin actually to Ireland, uh, starting uh, an, an internship there. Uh, and then uh, Sebastian was like, yeah, look, there is a view conference in London. Uh, would you like to join us? I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, why not? Uh, so, and I said, yeah, okay, then uh, yeah, just book flights and a hotel and we will cover the ticket for you. So we're like, wow, amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely not let that opportunity go. So mm-hmm. yeah, then I went there and uh, this was uh, the conference where actually Nux 2 was um, live released. And then I first time like met people from the core team. Uh, so basically the two Chopin brothers and we had a blast. And they said, yeah, congrats. Thanks for being here. And you're on the core team now. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So that's, that's like the, the history. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's a very cool story. Yeah. Like, did you ever kind of, I guess, were you aspiring to ever become like an open source contributor to this at this level? Or did you just kind of stumble into it? Like, what, I think what I kind of stumbled into it. So it was never like a goal. And I, I never... I never thought that it was maybe happening, um, but I was like, I, I was trying to bring that project forward. So because I really enjoyed working with it, and I thought making it even better um, without like having lots of overhead, because most of the things uh, I've like I've, I've added, like most of the modules I wrote, were also there because I also had I had to write them anyway for projects. Um, and at some point, it wasn't not only that anymore, but but also okay, this could be a great addition, maybe not for the project, but in general. So it it kind of I felt that the passion for the project, and yeah, this this is how it basically started. Nice, yeah, that's a super cool story. I feel like that's kind of a, a common thread is like of open source maintainers that they you know people. It's always a dream. Many people have to like spend a lot of time working on open source and have it like. Um, you know, be their main professional focus, but it's hard to get to. And I, I feel like the common thread we keep hearing is just like, I don't know, I just started working on stuff and kept contributing code and eventually something stuck and like, now I'm doing it. Um, yeah, so I feel like this is another another like perfect, perfect exemplary case of that. Yeah. Absolutely, especially like, in my opinion, you have to be passionate about it. And and yeah, that that's almost it. Like if you continuously contribute and it doesn't even have to be only code. Like if you contribute with like documentation or explaining things, this is also very important or also triaging issues. Like which I'm what I'm doing mainly at the moment besides like giving workshops and talks and stuff um, or like uh, videos, or, like producing videos is actually really like talking to people in the Discord, like, understanding their problems and kind of also try to understand what pain points the community sees. And then it's quite easy to say like, okay, maybe we need to improve documentation. Maybe we need a more in-depth blog post. Okay, then I write one. Or maybe we need a new function or a new feature. So yeah, also like having having an ear in the community is very important for that uh, too. Nice. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I could, I could talk like open source maintenance and community building and stuff all day Uh, but maybe maybe to to reel us back a bit can we frame a bit more about like why someone might 
care about Nux and like what a meta framework does. Absolutely, yeah. So first thing I, I always um, try to try to bring to the people is like you could use plain view. Nothing is wrong about that. And if you start like learning one of the main frameworks, then like or start learning view, it's totally fine to not like jump into Nux right away. Um, but if you want to like develop an application and you want to be quick in terms of like not having to configure all the things or just getting sensible defaults out of the box, then Nux is a great choice. Like you have a very quick time to market. You can just start with your application. You have one command to build uh, things. And uh, another big plus is uh, that Nux is very versatile in terms of you can build SPAs, but if you want, you can enable server-side rendering either like on demand with a node server, but also with static site generation with like just config flag. So that's pretty cool. And it also enables you to not having to think about it uh, before starting your application, but just build it, try it out, and then iterating over it uh, more and more. Yeah, so what is what is the difference, um, I guess, for, for devs that are unfamiliar, of on a, on like a Nuxt in static site generator mode versus default mode? Or is there is there a difference? Uh, yeah, there, there is, there is. So I think by default, you... so or. I think you can choose when you when you create a Nuxt application, but generally you have just server-side rendering enabled, uh, and that means um, Nuxt would run with like a Node.js server running, and whenever, uh, so at first you need that server all the time, and whenever someone is hitting uh, your page, then the first request, say the, the person comes from Google or the user is like hard reloading, this will hit the Node server, and the Node server will take that page and render the HTML. So that's like the basic of dynamic server-side rendering. But if you have, let's say, a blog, then you don't need the same content be rendered over and over again. What you want is static site generation, which basically means whenever you change, like you edit or update or create a blog post, then just regenerate the site. And um, then they're just like plain HTML files and the user doesn't have to hit the server. There doesn't have to be a server anymore. They just get the HTML file. And then after they like see the content, they will download, of course, also view and Nuxt, um, so a slightly overhead. And uh, from that point on, where like uh, view takes over, uh, it just works like an SPA again. Gotcha, gotcha. So like, say, yeah, say maybe to run with your example, a user has a blog, but then they have, uh, you know, like a login system with user details and stuff that get loaded over the wire. How does that kind of setup work? So that would basically mean like you can you can exclude pages from being generated. So mm-hmm. you can say okay, uh, everything like prefixed with admin, for example, you don't generate that uh, beforehand. This is actually what I'm doing with my blog as well, which is of course also powered by Nux. So I have an admin uh, page there, and I just say okay, if uh, admin is part of the uh, of the route, then yeah, just don't generate it and ignore that. And this will just work with like a traditional SPA then. Gotcha. Very cool. How about for like specific parts of a, like, um, like I'm trying to think of another example on a blog, like say there's a comment section in yeah. the blog that may be more dynamic. Like how do you, how do you set that up? So then the common way would be either to like load it after, uh, the page had been sent to the user. So like load it afterwards, which also kind of makes sense because usually comments are below the post. So you don't need them in advance. Um, and there are also other ways, like having the option to do something like stay revalidate. So, um, but that's not possible with Nux two, but will come in Nux three. So that's currently in the making to also enable that. Nice, yeah, yeah. I want I want to talk about Nux three a little bit. Um, but before we get there, I kind of want to you know like walk this path a little more. So say say there, um, like like you said, if you're if you're getting into view, and then you 
don't see the need for Nux. It's like, just start with Vue and, you know, take one step at a time. But say you are, like, you have a large existing Vue project and you're starting to kind of feel the need for something like Nuxt. How would you recommend people kind of go and explore and maybe start trying um, like to convert or, you know, introduce Nux to an existing project? Yeah, you already said the right word. Like converting is the thing there because the, the main problem is that you can't just like add Nux to an existing view project because of, of the nature of that uh, framework on top of you. So what you can do, of course, is just spin up a new uh, Nux project and then basically just carry everything over. And of course, Nux has a very specific folder structure, but it, it's not that different from what you would usually have in, in a classic view application. Maybe views is called pages. And of course, maybe you have to adapt uh, the, the pages then because Nux is using something called file system-based routing, which means if you have, say you have an about.view file in the pages folder, then it's equivalent to slash about. Or if you have an about folder and then say a team, dot view, then it's equivalent to slash about slash team. So this is something you might have to adjust. Uh, and a few things as well, like you've configured things in your uh, view application or like you've added view router, you don't need it anymore. You like have added view X. It's also all out of the box uh, with Nux. So you have to tweak a few things here and there, but you can get started easily. Uh, and I personally would suggest to like try carrying everything over and just keeping uh, it with uh, not server-side rendered. So just keep it as a plain old SPA for now. And as soon as you migrated everything, then you can, if you need that, like uh, switch on server-side rendering and then see if something breaks, what's going on. But yeah, like migration is always a big topic. And I, I personally always love to hear stories about people migrating from plain uh, view to Nuxt because I'm, I'm very curious how everything works, what's smooth and what hiccups or what problems are there. Because... Yeah. Um, that is always interesting to know also in terms of like giving a better developer experience and improving things. Nice. Yeah, very cool. So um, I guess when we're, when we're talking about it in the context of the benefits of Nuxt, uh, we touched a little bit on like um, like SEO helping, you know, when we get away from these large single page apps and just performance in general. Can you speak a little bit more to how having Nuxt kind of in the stack helps with those two problems? Yeah, so... With server-side rendering or site generation, uh, SEO is almost yeah grounded by default due to like having the HTML that's that doesn't have to be generated by the JavaScript. So at first, like um, you, search engine crawlers can just easily parse it. I mean, Google knows JavaScript now as well, but it's it's quicker. They see it directly. So this is almost yeah given there out of the box. And you can use something called View Meta, which is also provided by Nuxt to like alter uh, meta tags to to add, for example, also structured data and will be all reflected directly in that HTML. So that's pretty cool. And performance-wise, I think the most important part is that whenever um, the, the user really gets the HTML from the server or from the static file, they can already see the page. Um, the downside is it's not interactive yet, but at least they can, for example, read a blog post. Um, so the perceived performance is way better compared to an SPA where you at first like get that loading spinner because the JavaScript has to, of course, first being parsed and then like, uh, create the HTML. So I think that that's the main improvement here. And also like with, uh, caching, um, API uh, responses from the server side, for example, say you have like a larger e-commerce uh, solution, um, you can even get very better, uh, like really performance, uh, metrics and KPIs. Yeah, gotcha. 
Nice. I think that that kind of leads nicely into my next question. So you brought up, like, say you have a, a large shop with a bunch of products or something, like something in e-commerce. Um, I think maybe devs that aren't familiar kind of with this paradigm of like having the server, like query data and then build pages and kind of expose it. Like, I think they might get a little bit lost there. Can you explain how um, these kind of these these frameworks that do data fetching server side and then render pages, like how those work, like what that paradigm looks like? Yeah, so in Next, basically, you have uh, a method called fetch. Uh, not to, <laughs> the, the naming is a bit confusing, but it's a, so it's part of every view component and it's not related to the fetch API. So that, that's a bit important. It's, yeah. So, uh, and in this fetch method, you can basically, uh, it can be async and you can uh, get any data you want. And you can use any fetching library you want, but uh, yeah, you can get, get data there. Uh, and by default, this fetch function will be executed on the server side if the, the page is server rendered or on the client side if you like navigate from navigate from page A to page B. Then B's um, fetch function will be executed. And if this happens on the server, of course, the node server will then query the API. It will then transform like all the component hierarchy into a string, uh, HTML string, actually. And it will then also add the results from every fetch call inside the HTML as like state so we have, in the end, say, a big JSON object with the response. Uh, and then if this will be sent to the user, um, the, the JavaScript on the user side will take over that state to synchronize it and to also yeah, get everything the server had been sent uh, to the client to get the API response and then take over. Got it, got it. So say, say uh, to continue our example, say we're on like a, you know, a shop page and there's a product, uh, I don't know, like ID in the query string when the page is loaded. How does that, like, how does the component figure out what to do with that. Yeah, usually usually in the fetch function, you then say, uh, say this.dollarouter.query, or the, sorry, this.dollarouter.query, so you get like the query parameters of the route, and then you say dot uh, item, if that's query parameter called item, and then you get that one, and in the fetch function, you then say, yeah, uh, backend.example.com slash item slash, and then put in that ID, uh, and await that call so you get all the data, and then possibly also like prune it because you say you only want, I don't know, the quantity title and description and you don't want everything else in the HTML as a big blob. So just only get that. Uh, and eventually, yeah, just, just set that in the function as like this dot uh, results equals the result. Say, say you are a, a web page and you have all these products and stuff. Is there a way you can tell, um, tell that kind of the, tell the server to go ahead and like fetch all of those pages ahead of time so we don't have to wait for a user to make that request? Yeah, that, that's a bit difficult. Right now, uh, I don't think. Um, because So what you can do is you can preload the JavaScript for other pages. So okay, you can basically say if you navigate from like a product page to say a product overview page to a list of uh, products, you could say if that link to that product overview page is in the viewport and the browser is idle, so everything else has been loaded, then you can like preload that the JavaScript. So that's also a feature of Nux called smart prefetching, also quite quite popular in other frameworks. So that's possible. Uh, but I think like really like um, yeah, more as preloading or caching results from server-side rendering, um, th this will be possible in Nux three. <laughs> um, but in Nux two, I think you would have to use something uh, like beforehand, something uh, maybe like a service function, a worker, whatsoever, some caching solution like Varnish to do that. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's yeah. not that easy there. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I guess I'm just like, I'm thinking to, um, so like on, at LogRec, we use Gatsby for our blog builds to like go pull the WordPress data. Is there, can you, can you do something like that at all in Nux where you say like, okay, I know I've got like all of these pages I need to generate, go ahead and do the pre-generation or does that, does that con- like just not conceptually happen? Yeah, so this is also quite interesting. You can provide, say, a list of all routes that should be pre-generated. That that Got would it, work. Yeah. So if you have, like, mm-hmm. say, side generation, you can do this. Uh, what you can also do if um, you, you build your page very well, and we assume this happens, so every page is basically linked. So you have, like, no orphan pages where there's no link. Then you can just say, I don't have to put it anywhere because uh, I have, say, at least one static route, um, which is the index page usually, and Nuxt has a built-in crawler, so that means it, it will pre-generate the index page, it will look for links, and it will see, oh, these are also Nuxt pages, I have to pre-generate them too. So this will work without like providing any list of routes, you just have to be sure that they're all linked uh, correctly together, but that's important anyway. Right, right, right. Okay, cool. So yeah, that, that crawler that crawler method is interesting to me. So I guess the question that leads me to is in Gatsby, I feel like one of the cool things that we've all been that has been very helpful to us is that we can do like smart incremental builds because we have this giant WordPress blog. If every time we publish, we had to do the whole thing, it would, you know, it takes 20 minutes to do a full clean build. Is there any kind of incremental build support? Uh, so again, I <laughs> I have to tell next three will we'll make that even better. But yes, so the cool thing is if you only change data and not the code, then uh, you don't have to like... Uh, you don't have to run through the whole build process anymore. So um, Nuxt um, will will have an uh, will have a way to say, oh, there. Basically, we, we just check all the files in the folder, uh, and if the checksum is the sh- is the same one, then the cached version will just take the artifacts from there, and then you only have to generate the pages again uh, with the, with the data that's been present. But you at least skip a few minutes of the whole webpack process. Got it. But there's, there's yeah, no way. So yeah. in theory, with, with a bit of manual setup, you can also say like, please just render this exact route. So by just mm-hmm. saying, yeah, please render that. And th- this is possible, but uh, it would be a bit of a workaround to get it working in Nux 2. In Nux 3, it will be nicer. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And again, like in, in even in, you know, like if you're using Gatsby or something, if you change code on like the blog page, you're still going to have to re-render every blog. Yeah, you yeah, can't sure. get around that. So yeah, that totally makes sense. Cool. I guess... Um, Kind of back to this, where I feel like we're kind of on the fringes of it, and you touched on it earlier, um, but we were talking about plugins, or you mentioned plugins a little bit. Can you explain what are modules, was plugins or modules, whatever the like, what those are in the in the Nuxt space? Yeah, so that's important because plugins and modules are not the same in Nuxt. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. But so so um, because so basically Nuxt modules, you can think of it as like an isolated piece of code that can do almost anything in Nuxt. So it can even like uh, say. Uh, Nuxt has specific so-called hooks, not to uh, mix up with like React hooks or something, but just to say whenever Nuxt is doing something like generating a page, finishing generation, or uh, like serving a page when running a server, you can hook into Nuxt and change uh, the, the behavior. So say like, for example, there is a module called a sidemap module and it will utilize a hook. So to say whenever the generation is finished, then like create a sidemap based on the pages you've generated. Um, so mod- modules can use these hooks to alter Nuxt behavior. They can also add plugins, uh, and I'll come to a second what plugins are doing. Uh, they, ca- they can do whatever they want, basically. They can even like change the CLI of Nuxt, uh, so they- there is sky's the limit. And the cool part is, of course, uh, you don't need much. They are basically NPM packages. You can install them, specify them, 
uh, and and they work out. And Nuxt plugins basically run once either on the server or on the client side, or if you want even both. Uh, and they are be- usually being used by uh, to to like add view plugins or to like create services to inject helper methods. So these are super common for for those tasks. So say like you have um, a Google Analytics uh, module, and it will use a plugin to enable the client to say like uh, this dot dollar ga for Google Analytics dot um, on or dot off or dot send event. So it will basically provide functionalities for the client or even for the server. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the plugin. Got it, got it. So are, are modules something that like only run at build time? Is that accurate? Are they like injecting code? So yes and no. So there there is usually, or best practice is, if you can avoid, then yeah, only run the build time, don't run at runtime. Also due to like the whole size of the application for like, serverless and calls the times and so on. Um, but um, yeah, so mainly there is an option to say like build modules and then define all the things that only run at build time. But sometimes a module need to be there um, at runtime. So you can say, okay, we define this as a module that's just called modules and not build modules, and we'll go in there. Yeah, for example, like if, if it adds some kind of middleware or like server middleware from some some custom endpoints or something, then it should be there in runtime too. Got it, got it. But like like adding adding custom middleware, for example, wouldn't be a, a plugin typically, that'd be a module. Yeah, so because middleware, <laughs> yeah, it would be a module and it would okay. like uh, t- tell in the next config, say, okay, we'll, we will add this piece of middleware. Or there's also something called server middleware, which basically can act like as a small node app in Nuxt. So you can basically say, uh, create a, a route call slash ping. And mm-hmm. whenever uh, this happens, then just return with a response of 200 to enable easy health checks. Oh, so cool. this would be some kind of server middleware, but this only works when a server is running. So it would have to be part of uh, the, the modules because we on runtime and on say mm-hmm. side generation it won't do anything because there's no server. Got it. Got it. Cool. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So like say, I think you, I think the example you brought up was an RSS module that you were working on, like initially. How does yeah. that like say, say you you know you have say you've got a, a site set up or using Nux and you wanted to add an RSS feed. How like how do you? integrate with a module, like an RSS module, for example. Yeah, so first, so it's, it's called feed, so feed module. It can be RSS, uh, JSON, whatever. There are, I think, three standards. Yeah, so what you can do is you can add that through like Yarn, NPM, whatever you like. And then in, say, build modules or modules, you define that you're using this one. Uh, and then you say, uh, either in that definition, you can give like inline parameters or you have like a special key, uh, configuration key called feed. And then you can say, okay, uh, I define, uh, you can define as many feeds as you like. Say, I define a, fa- a feed called feed XML. Okay. Uh, and then I have some co- some kind of creation function that will basically, in the end, return the whole feed. Uh, then, like, defining cache time, uh, the type of the feed, and also data, if you like, if you have data uh, already there. And in this creation function, basically, you say, okay, I have a feed object. Um, which is based on like uh, an, an, an other NPN package for like m- managing all these feeds. Uh, that's way better than like me writing a small little version of that. And uh, then I can say like, okay, uh, I give like uh, the feed a title, a link, description, and then I can even do like uh, data fetching in there. So I say like it's an async function. I can uh, do like Axios calls or fetch or whatever, and I say get all uh, the posts from my blog, from my API, and then for each item, just add that to the feed item, and all good. Nice, nice, very cool. Um, yeah, I think I think 
that all makes sense to me. And I think, yeah, thank you for painting such a clear picture. Like I, I kind of help, I understand this ecosystem a lot better now. Awesome. Um, the yeah. stats are here. I hope yeah. our, our listeners will, will too. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, cool. I guess with that, I'm kind of curious uh, about uh, V3 and what you guys have been working on there. So what's like, what prompted it? I mean, obviously like View 3 is probably the answer there, but like what else were you motivated to get in there um, and, and what's new and exciting? Yeah, so of course, View Free is a huge factor. Also, like Webpack Five, that Vite is now existing. So there are a couple of things that really, uh, yeah, I would say, like changed and brought the ecosystem forward. So the main point, there were a few refactors that uh, were well lo- <laughs> long away. That anyway, um, so th- these uh, need a new breaking change in major version anyway. Uh, and then, th- yeah, there were a few things that uh, will. Yeah, well, will be necessary to to make Nuxt even better. So one thing that's happening in V3 is like we get the core even leaner by like extracting lots of functionalities into own um, isolated npm packages. Basically, by just saying, okay, um, say we ha- there's a package called uh, UFO uh, that's basically there to handle all kind of URLs and paths um, or yeah, mainly URLs to say like, okay, uh, remove the query, um, j- just uh, strip something else, or uh, lead uh, add a trading slash or or, or not. So uh, Nuxt had such utilities and still has it in V2, but the idea is to make it at first reusable, so it doesn't have to be Nuxt that uses that, uh, and also to not have this as part of the core to make it easier testable. Because testing these utilities in Nuxt uh, is possible, but for some utilities, there's to couple to the actual to actual Nuxt. Um, so the idea is to like decouple them, bring them on packages, make them easier to test and also to reuse and even on projects, but also like other frameworks if they like to. Uh, and then the uh, other the other pain point, so to say, was like the whole ter- uh, topic of server side, uh, so not server side, serverless rendering. Um, so this is possible for Nuxt, but as I said, it's not that straightforward. So the idea was to like create a new uh, server engine. Uh, and this will the, the idea is to cover almost all deployment possibilities you have. Uh, that means like classic deployments, static side generation, uh, server side uh, server side rendering as well, which is important, but also deploying on serverless, so like Azure AWS whatsoever. But also, and this is another challenge, deploying on workers, so on non-node environments, so like Cloud for Workers or Netlify, I think Edge Handlers they're called. Uh, they they don't have uh, V8, so they have V8 isolates and not Node.js environments. So you have to like mock a few things out here and there to make all it work. So yeah, a, a couple of things that besides like view free and the composition API that uh, drove Nux in the direction of okay, we need a new major version. We can clean things up. We can split things out. We can make things uh, better and easier testable, but nice. um, also like improving internals. Gotcha. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So I guess, but my first question is on on Bundler. Um, you mentioned Vite. Is that is that the default now, or is like you have to can kind of configure your build step when you set up a new project? Uh, so yeah, by default, Vite is used, right, mm-hmm. uh, as as dev server. Um, yeah. But the cool thing is, you can always switch between uh, Vite and and Webpack. And there's also <laughs> that, that's crazy what 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 all these uh, amazing people did. Like there yeah. is uh, now something called Unbuild, which is a package, um, and it is basically a unified JavaScript build system. So you basically build uh, a way um, together with Unplugin, <laughs> which is another option, uh, to to like create plugins that are usable for like rollup, 
and read and webpack and ES build for the same time. So ideally, you you create something and uh, unplugging uh, together with like Unbuild for the build phase will uh, be the reason that it works almost everywhere. So you don't have to think about like, okay, for Webpack, uh, I have to do this, this extra, or V do this and this extra. This always reminds me of back in times jQuery, where we have like, okay, uh, this browser is doing it differently. And, oh, we have another thing implemented here. And jQuery is like, yeah, we take all what you do and uniform it. And the same idea is behind like Unplugin, where you select V is thing differently, Rollup, Webpack, yes, both, all together, same interface, same API, and it just works. Nice, nice. So, so are you saying that that is useful even if you're just deploying like a, a web app, a, having a site? Because then you just have to define the config once, or is that mainly for like if you're working on modules? So, ideally, or I mean, it, it depends a bit on what you're doing. Um, but mm. if you select, I want to create a plugin that will work for, say, right. any bundler, yeah. um, then you surely can use Unplugin. Right now, it's commonly used in, in the Nux ecosystem, but I can that that's the reason why it's a separate package. I can think of it being used wherever. So uh, that, that would totally make sense if you go in all that way uh, deep down and like creating uh, on, on that lower level. Sorry, yes, I'm like, I'm catching up still. I'm still wrapping my head around, you know, this space where we're like thinking about multiple bundlers now instead of just... Yeah, it's, it's, good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. Crazy. It's a good change. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's also super interesting. Like, I mean, Rollup was there before and was mainly used for libraries and Webpack was mainly used for like the end application. But now also with like feed and the, another pain point is like um, the whole ESM topic, like switching from CJS to ESM only and libraries not having. So this is also something that um, Veed pushed forward and Nuxt is also pushing forward to say like, okay, ESM only, which means some dependencies can't be used anymore. So is there a workaround? Is there... Uh, so there are like interoperability things that that can help, um, but but sometimes this also leads to like breaking stuff, and that's why also next <laughs> one of the reasons why next is also better to like tweak things, find out uh, ways to to improve stuff, and to give the best developer experience possible. Yeah, nice, nice. So, um, yeah, like say say that there were a you know somebody starting a new project uh, and, and they want to use. They want to use Nux. Would you recommend that they just jump into three, or would you say no? Probably stick with two for now. I mean, it depends a bit on what they're trying to achieve. Um, mm-hmm. Nux Nux three is taking shape. Um, the, I think the main issue what keeps me personally from like doing productive things besides not production production ready is uh, that mo- most modules are not being ported over yet. So I personally haven't ported my modules over there too, mainly because static site generation is not yet implemented because there's still some architectural works to make this hybrid uh, rendering or uh, ISR and so on. Um, so incremental static uh, regeneration uh, work. Um, so that that's what's still holding. And the other point is that um, now that there is like something called NuxKit, which is more or less uh, a nice way for like all module authors to define um, uh, a uniform surface and uniform like say a contract for modules. So you have like um, options. Say there, there's the name, there's the version. You have compatibilities. You have a dedicated way to write things. Before it was just a function, um, which means more more freedom, but also less structure and so on. But uh, yeah, the main point is like testing these modules right now that there um, is a new test runner called VTest. So another thing, another new cool uh, thing that's also being being used as a test runner for modules soon. And there's also utility in the work that's uh, that will be work with like Nux, uh, or Nuxi, which is the CLI test. But yeah, that's, that's still work in progress. So right now I don't want to um, 
port my modules over without testing them properly. And I yet right now I can't test them due to this part being missing. So I'm I'm still waiting, but then I will port things over and uh, come, now come and really back to a question and answer them. If you want to play around and if you don't rely on modules, then um, just go ahead because uh, there there's nothing that keeps you. But if you say like, oh, I want to bring a thing in production in like a week or two, then Nux2 is a good option. And you still get lots of goodies like the composition API from U3 through Nux modules. So you can still do that yeah. and yeah. still leverage most Nux modules. Nice, nice, very cool. So somebody's like more just kind of exploring and wants to play with stuff, three might be where to go ahead and start because you're probably yeah. not going to need a, to pull a bunch of stuff. But yeah, if, you, if you're going to need like to integrate with a bunch of services and like it'd be handy to have a ecosystem, two might be a better bet for now. Absolutely. And as I said, you can always like try uh, like paving a path for uh, migrating by just saying, okay, I still use the composition API uh, for, for a module that's still available in Vue 2, even though it had been introduced in Vue 3. So that's, uh, I think that's a good way too. Because like I personally, I, I really love using the composition API and I don't want to miss it on, on Nux2 either. So that, that's yes. a good part too. Right. Totally. Totally. Yes. Yeah, so like say, say your goal was you wanted to build some crazy fast site and you like wanted to deploy it at the edge. So it can like run in workers and everything. Is that, is that pretty, like, is that working in three or is it close yeah. or? Yeah. So you can, you can deploy in cluster workers already in three. You can, in theory, you can even do this in next two. Like, so I did this for next two project as well. Um, because this new server engine called Nux Nitro is also pluggable into Nux2, but oh, cool. ideally you just go for free. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah, very cool, awesome, awesome. Yeah, no, I, I want to go check out. I want to go check out V3 now. So yeah, I, I used Nux a long time ago, like when I was spending more time spinning up new view projects, and I had a big one. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time, so it's yeah, exciting <laughs> hearing about all this new, all this new stuff. I want to go check it out. Um, yeah, I think like, for, like from the community, I have the like say mixed, mixed feeling because it now takes a while view free is like out for more than a year now and i understand that but there's like lots of internal work to get things done plus we don't want to push another version like in a half a year say oh there's next four now because you had to do lots of things that we just um yeah waited for so r- right now is a change and yeah it, it takes a bit and also it, we try to to have a clear migration path at some point but um yeah, I would say like for everyone waiting for like a release candidate, this uh, it will be available in March. So that's that's a plan. Um, but of course, like ecosystem catching up, we started with U2 to be the free. It always takes a little bit of time, but we try our best to make it as short as possible and also give like clear guidance. Nice. Yeah, I guess um, on on that note, I, I I feel like there it has been. It's been a little bit slower on the uptick for Vue 3 across the board, I think, than anyone anticipated. Like a lot of the popular front-end library or just like module component libraries have taken a lot longer time to get rolling. But I feel like we're kind of kind of getting there now. Like everything's kind of catching up. We're, we're on the precipice here. I hope um, so. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Like more adoption because I think Vue 3, even though there was this whole... I don't want to say drama, but about like, oh, there's a new API and we want to remove the, the options API and no, it's all good, which was just, I, th- I think... Uh, just a little bit of miscommunication in the end, uh, which could have happened to anyone. Uh, but I think like the step and the direction is good, uh, and also like it, the developer experience will will be improved no, no matter what you use. No matter if you use JavaScript or TypeScript, it doesn't matter. Now Vue plus TypeScript is amazing. Uh, I I don't I'd like I don't like Vue Vue plus TypeScript due to me being forced like um having this magic this everywhere and then either using like the class component approach. Not my jam. But with composition API, it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's much it, it's it feels much more natural. Like to just yeah. have a type system there. With the more 
and, yeah. and also like I think view with the composition API feels more like just JavaScript, so to say. It's yeah. all, so, so, such a uh, common term saying, oh, yeah, it's just JavaScript. And now it, la- it feels less magical. But mm-hmm. of course, like if you start and only learn a composition API, I think it's tougher. So like when yeah. I personally explain people what Vue is, I always start like, okay, this is the option API. We'll do all the things that are available there. And then we will take a look at the composition API. Mainly because um, people learning Vue now will definitely need the options API. There are so many content so, so much content so many guides videos about view 2 and patterns they, they will have to understand it. so there's yeah. right now there's no way around it yeah yeah i know yeah when we had when we had evan on i asked him this question specifically i was like i feel like documentation is hard when you're making such a big shift like this and it's like you know we're aware of it and it's it's a thing but yeah i agree i agree i agree uh the old way isn't going anywhere anytime soon just because there's so much content there yeah but, but like right now, have you seen the new Vue.js documentation? Like it had been released. Yeah. It's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Like it's I, amazing. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of effort going in. Like that problem is being thought about for sure. Um, Absolutely. And like yeah. when I started with Vue, I always felt like documentation was already top notch. But I think right now they, they're really adapted to the whole situation with two different APIs and giving code examples for everything and being more clear. Like I, I have a, another, uh, another friend who like, came from Angular, so now learning Vue and was like, oh, composition API, hmm. having tough time understanding. It's like, oh yeah, look at the staging docs. And they were like, oh yeah, wow, <laughs> that, that's way better. Yeah, so exactly. exactly. Yeah, cool. I guess, is there any, other than that, is there anything else kind of in the in the Vue ecosystem or even in like the web dev ecosystem in general that you're really excited about that's coming? Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, as I said, adoption of Vue free, sure, tick. But uh, I think like, in web development in general, I really hope to ha- to have conferences again. Like I'm really missing uh, seeing seeing people around the world. Like usually it's like okay, uh, view conference or general web dev conferences, even like meetups, uh, local town. Just seeing people, getting in touch with them. It's it's different to like being online, and uh, it's it's better than nothing. But still, like that, that would be that would be amazing to uh, yeah uh, <laughs> to feel again <laughs> to meet people. Um, yeah, and I mean, besides that, I think like Vite is still something to look at. And also, I'm super curious where, where this is going. And like on a broader perspective, the whole topic uh, about at first, like using Rust more and more for JavaScript tooling, which is happening to speed things up. So it will be super interesting. And uh, I, I think also about like reducing uh, the overhead of server side rendering, more or less doing less hydration. So hydration, just to explain that, is basically the, the scenario when the service sends uh, the HTML over and then like Vue or any other framework kicks in and uh, Vue could now just say, okay, scrap whatever the server sent, I will I will just rebuild on my own or it will go through everything the server sent and then says, oh yeah, okay, I will basically match that to my uh, own representation. So in Vue, ca- in Vue case, it's like virtual DOM representation. And this takes a bit of time, especially with like static content. Vue could also just say like, oh yeah, the static, I know this, uh, because when, when the Vue compiler compiled uh, the Vue single file components, it hinted, oh, this is static. I don't have to hydrate this because it won't be changed. Um, and like having more of these improvements, maybe even to some part of like partial hydration. So like, yeah, ignore large static parts of the site will really improve the performance. Yeah. So this is something I really look forward to and also like more uh, investigation in this direction. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like yeah, we're kind of in this in this in this era now. Everyone everyone's thinking about performance just way more. Like for a while, yeah, it was like, all about the dev experience, and now it's kind of like okay, we gotta we gotta make the web snap perform it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah. it's crazy if you think about like how much JavaScript is being shipped for almost no reason. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. performance also like one of the topics I always try to take care no matter what it is, especially if you like have SEO concerns, you always need really good performance and KPIs for like classic web applications behind authentication. People always like, huh, yeah, if it loads a second longer, I don't mind people using anyway. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, it matters. <laughs> it matters. Yeah, start, yeah, start looking at like the user fall off charts and it's like time is, time is money, man. Like it's yeah. real. <laughs> yeah. So... I'm yeah. I'm super looking forward to that, and actually, I am right now. I'm writing a thesis uh, on this, this topic yeah. so on server-side rendering, and also cool. uh, maybe there will be some interesting outcomes. In your spare time, uh, yeah. So in theory, my full-time job is being a student, um, but yeah, in theory, well, I hope I can finish it this year or so. So yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there any links um, or anything you want to point our listeners to? Uh, we'll include them to the show notes. But um... So I think mainly if you have any more questions, then of course, I think the Twitter profile is the best way to just shoot me DM over and or just tweet tweet me, like just add me. Um, and for like more in-depth technical posts, and I hope I'll write more this year, uh, there is also my blog. So a couple of cool posts there. Um, yeah, and I think uh, that's it. If there are more questions, then yeah, just at me. <laughs> awesome. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, we'll see you around. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. Find us at Pod Rocket Pod on Twitter. Or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's brian at LogRocket.